Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. Y prospero año. Y felicidad. Happy New Year, too. You know, this is that time of year, this little shoulder season between the years, the holidays, Christmas, and New Year's. And it's kind of like this big pause. I don't know. Do you feel that? It's like the, often the Christmas decorations are coming down. We've got a little less here at our home. Our Christmas decorations are down. It's always been our tradition to start the year clean and fresh. Cheryl's been doing deep house cleaning, and, and so we're kind of back in gear to head into the new year, full speed ahead. And uh, with all of that being said, it's been our tradition as a church always to have the candlelight service, which just blew the roof off last Sunday. That was so awesome, right? And uh, then we, like we have, yay, <laughs> amen. And, uh, and, and, that, and now we come on into the new years, and I, it's been my tradition to kind of do a uh, epiphany message. Anybody know what epiphany is? Ah, we got somebody, right? If you've been raised in certain uh, denominations or branches of the church, that's the January 6th uh, celebration of the wise guys, the, the three kings who come to visit Jesus, right? And so I want to, I just want to touch on that for just a minute because I think there's something very pertinent in the story of the wise men. Um, and you know the story, how they saw a star and they traveled, they found Jesus. We read in um, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 2, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary and fell down and worshiped him. That's what we've just been doing, amen? amen. Fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, worthy of a king, worthy of a priest, worthy of a savior that would be sacrificed on their behalf. Now, verse 12 is really the point that I would like to make here. Then... After they had come, seen Jesus, met Jesus, worshipped Jesus, gave gifts to Jesus, served Jesus, then being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And I think this is important for us, especially as we look at turning the calendar from 23 to 24 and, and something new is coming. That which is old is passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And 2024, we don't know what it holds, but we know who holds it. It's held securely in the hands of our Lord. So we can trust, we can walk in faith into 2024. But here, these wise gentlemen, the magi, the, the, the three kings, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Don't go back to where you've come from, but leave a different way. And they did. They didn't want to bring Herod down, and, and we know the rest of that story. But that, that spoke to me so much once upon a time, and every year I think about this. As Christmas comes, and we're excited, and we celebrate, we have the traditions, and we have such a beautiful time worshiping 
our Lord, a child born to us, a son given to us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, it's time to move on. It's time to keep going. We don't leave Jesus behind, right? Christmas is behind us, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And having met Him, I pray that we would now go forward different than when we came. The same as this morning. I pray that as we come and worship Jesus and give Him of our heart and soul, that we would be touched by Him. And like the wise men, are you wise? And like the wise men, we would leave changed. We would leave different than we came in. And so this is really kind of the Christmas message that I would have for us. This morning, if you like, you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, another version of the Christmas story. Last week I told you I had a story, a Christmas story, and it ended up being Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What kind of Christmas story is that? Well, for the Ethiopian eunuch, he was born again. Christ became alive to him. The Holy Spirit moved into his soul. He was changed and returned home different than he came to Jerusalem. This morning, we're going to meet another person who is going to be changed. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, begin reading, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if, he, if, any, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul. We met him before already, Saul of Tarsus. We saw him in chapter 7 at verse 58. He was consenting to Stephen's death. We saw him at the end of um, chapter 8. He was there holding the garments and cheering the crowd on as they murdered the first martyr of the church. Saul, just uh, zealous for God, zealous for his religion, zealous for his faith, but a misplaced zeal. And he did terrible things to the church. It says, still breathing threats and murder. Literally, and a lot of what I'm going to share today, you can put together out of different passages in the Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, which we'll get to someday, should the Lord tarry, Paul will elaborate much more on these things. In fact, as we look at this, we're going to see that Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, he's credited with 13 books of the New Testament that we read. This, this Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul is going to be changed. He's going to be changed here this morning, but right now at this point, he's still breathing threats and murders. And in fact, it does say in Acts chapter 26 that he went to imprison them, pull them in chains, and see them killed. This is how much of a, I guess you could say, terrorist he was. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus and to stomp out all those who followed him. So he's, he's, he's not stopped. He's like a wild beast wreaking havoc, just like a, a wild boar just tearing through a garden and rooting everything up and killing everything in its sight. This is, he's just berserk. He's out of his mind. 
threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. Uh, Damascus is about 130 miles north as the crow flies, more like 200 miles as you wind up over and through the hills. So it's a journey, like for us, beyond Boise or Salt Lake. Um, and he's now walking. It's going to be about a six or seven day journey uh, to get to Damascus. Damascus, one of the oldest cities in the world, back in the book of Genesis in Abraham's day, Damascus was a city. Um, and it's still a city to this day. Damascus is in the news frequently in Syria. And this is where he's going to go, to the synagogues of Damascus. Shortly after this is written, about 30 years from now, there will be an emperor in Rome by the name of Nero. Nero, who's credited with executing Paul, also executed Jews as well as Christians. And the records hold that Nero executed over 10,000 Jews in Damascus. So there's a huge Jewish population in Damascus, about six days' journey from Jerusalem, and Paul's got it in his head, in his heart. Man, I'll bet some of them Christians are up there. I'm going to go get some letters. I'm going to get authorized. You know what we call that in the New Testament? Somebody who is sent with authority? An apostle. And here we see Saul, the apostle of the Sanhedrin. Paul, the apostle of threats and murders, but he's going to be changed to the apostle to the Gentiles as we go forward. So he, he gets these letters, and he's going to go to Damascus, arrest as many as he can, and drag them back home. Really? We've already driven all the Christians out of Jerusalem. Isn't it enough that you just you, nobody wants to be in Jerusalem anywhere. No, we're going to go to the ends of the earth, and we're going to find them all. We're going to round them up. We're going to bring them back, and we're going to kill them, put them in prison, or kill them. And what it says, he that he found any who were of quote the way. I love this. The way we see this eight times as a title for the the new body of believers, the new followers of Jesus. This is the first name that was ever applied to the followers of Jesus, okay? They were called the way. And I think what's so interesting in that is that the people of their time, the Jews who hated Him, the Christians who loved Jesus, they all didn't just talk the talk, but they walked the walk. And this is what infuriated the Jewish religious establishment so much, is they did Jesus. They did the walk. And in that walk of love and forgiveness and kindness, just as Stephen, as he's being stoned, and Saul was there watching, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Do not count this against them. That walk of love, it was just driving the religious elite berserk, this love. They couldn't, they couldn't wrap their head around this love that he would, God would so love us that He'd send His Son, that Christ would die for us while we're yet sinners. They just couldn't get that kind of love. And this is what he's here to snuff out, the way. Whether men or women, no partiality there, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So here he goes. Now, we don't know how close to Damascus he was. Like I said, it's a six-day journey. But we get the sense that he was pretty close. He was probably on the sixth day. Part of that is because, as we read, he's going to be blind and led by hand into town. Okay? So he has to finish the, the journey into town without sight on this road. And could have been several days. We don't know. But we get the sense he was almost there. He's about ready to just explode upon the church, the way that's in Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. We also read in Acts 26 and I think 22 that it was at noon day. So whatever was going on, the sun is high in the sky, and in fact, Acts 26 says that a light shone around him and his companions, and it was brighter than the sun. So whatever is happening, we're just minding our own business, going trying to kill a bunch of Christians, and bam, this light just envelops them. Just It's blinding, and it's brighter than the sun. And what on earth is going on here, right? You're just, you're perplexed. You don't know what's going on. Um, and then they, he fell to the ground. Now, it's funny how many stories you'll hear about Paul being knocked off of his um, horse, you know. There's no horse mentioned in this anywhere. And some people say, well, he's a rabbi, so he would have been uh, riding his donkey, right? Or his ass, right? But it doesn't say, it said he fell off. Uh, it doesn't say he fell off, it just says he fell on the ground. And so, and the people around him, if you read in the other passages, the whole crowd, bam, hits the ground. The light's so bright, they're freaking out. They hit the ground, um, and, and then a voice comes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as we look at the life of Saul, and I'm sure, no doubt, Jesus, who stood up when they stoned Stephen, I'm sure Jesus, who is watching what Saul is doing to the church, I'm sure Jesus has a few choice words for Saul about what you're doing in my name, killing people, and yet I don't think it would be, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? That's not how it comes across, not as you look at it and you see the life of Saul, and this isn't the Christ that we know. It's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That still small voice that, that, that pierces through the rage. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's a passage in Colossians chapter 1 that was rather perplexing to me for a number of years until I overlaid it into Acts chapter 9. In Colossians chapter 1 at verse 24. This is Saul, the Apostle Paul, writing. And listen what Paul says. He says in verse 24 of Colossians 1, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, talking to the church at Colossae, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body which is the church. What is lacking? I fill up in my body what is a la lacking in Christ's afflictions? As though Christ, Jesus, wasn't afflicted enough 
mocked, spit upon, beard torn out, punched, just pierced, hung on a cross, crucified. But that wasn't enough. Paul would say, this is Paul right here, I fill up in my body that which was lacking in Christ. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I see this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, as this voice in the bright light speaks to Saul, the body of Jesus Christ has already been glorified. It's been resurrected, it's ascended, it's in heaven, and now Jesus, the Lamb of God, whoever lives to intercede for all of us, alive in heaven to this very moment and forever, is now talking to Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? So wait a minute. I know we persecuted Stephen. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole list. And I got a whole list more that I'm persecuting. But what do you mean about persecuting me? And he would finally learn. It's about persecuting the body. The body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verse 22, talking about Jesus Christ, and he put... I'm sorry, yeah, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the body of Christ, Corpus Christi, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in 1 Corinthians 11, you're very familiar with this passage, at verse 23, Paul writing to the church in Corinth at communion for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Skipping on down to verse 27 of Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You understand that even to this very day, as Christians are dying for their faith. I know if you watch the news feeds, you probably hear what's going on in Israel, Gaza. You hear about Ukraine. You hear about different places. Just this last week, 150 more Christians, and it is almost weekly, Christians were killed in Nigeria. Constant atrocities going on against Christians. In Myanmar, in Burma, in all kinds of places around the world, the persecution against the church is raging like it's never raged in history. And that affliction is being filled up in the body of Christ that we might bear His scars, that we might, as we enter into heaven, recognize Him who died for us. Why? Why are you persecuting me, He would say. And now verse 5 and 6, depending on the version or the translation of the version of the Bible that you have, may not be there. They are omitted in some of the Bible text, um, but 
they, you know, you'll find them in the, in the New King James. They fill in, if you will, parts that we take out of Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. And while there's some discrepancy whether they were there in the original text or not, the meaning is not changed whatsoever, and the thoughts Paul would restate in other parts in all of his epistles. So, going on in verse 5, it says, He said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So, here's Saul of Tarsus with papers to capture Christians, drag them home, put them in prison, and see them murdered. And as he's about to arrive in Damascus and just wreak havoc on the church, the way, all of a sudden a light shines and it knocks everybody to the ground. A voice speaks out of heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look what Saul answers. Who are you? Lord, Lord, Lord. This is Saul's conversion moment. This is when Saul sees the light, every pun intended. Who are you, Lord? He knows he's having a biblical moment. He knows he's having a an amazing encounter with God, and I'm sure he's expecting him to, to hear, and it's in, in, uh, in the other chapters, in 22 and 26, it says, his voice came to heaven and spoke from him in the Hebrew language. So in his own mother tongue, personally, I'm sure he's expecting to hear something like, Eye, Aser, El Shaddai. I am the Almighty God, right? Or Eye Eser El Roy, I am the God who sees. Or some other title of God, right? He's having this moment, and then what does he hear? Who are you, Lord? And the voice answers, I'm Jesse. Which is to say, I am Yeshua. Eye Eser Yeshua, I am the God who saves. I am Jesus. I am the one you are persecuting. You can imagine how it must have just stopped his heart that moment and just every, every, mo every molecule of his brain is just frying right now trying to figure out Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who are you persecuting? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. If you're not familiar with this, this idea of a goad, it's an agricultural kind of term. Maybe some of our, um, uh, uh, what is it, 4-H'ers, those kind of people would know. But it's a long, sharp stick. It's a long stick, and it's a sharp pointed end. And as a farmer would be plowing with his ox, he would take this stick and poke the back of the ox to keep the ox moving forward. Often they would have ox that would pull carts, and on the carts they would have a board with these goads sticking forward. So if the ox got it in his head that he didn't want to go anymore, he would kick. Ow! 
And every time he would protest, every time he would kick, every time he would disobey the master, man, another poke. And Jesus says, man, it's hard for you. Now, Jesus knew what was going through Saul's heart. And, and it's amazing to me, as he's carrying letters to arrest and persecute and kill these people, still in his heart, he's got to deal with this issue of Stephen, who, as he knelt on the ground, he said, I see heaven opened in front of me and the Son of Man standing. And what's he going to do with that as he's consenting to the stoning death of Stephen? And that's always been just rolling around in his heart. I'm going to kill these people. I'm going to go get these people. But these people are nice. These people are good. These people don't do anything bad. They're not lawbreakers. They're not haters. They're not wicked. They're not evil. They do everything good. They just worship the wrong God. And it was such a thing. And Jesus, and, and Jesus would say to him, man, it's hard for you. It's hard for you. Something I have found. This is just a mic takeaway moment, okay? As I share Jesus with people, as I share the gospel with people, as I share the forgiveness of sins and hope of eternal life with people, I have, as of yet, in my 30-something years of sharing the gospel, met a single soul who had a problem with Jesus. What's not to like about Jesus? It's not Jesus that people have a problem with. It's the followers of Jesus. It's the church. It's the religion. It's all these hypocrites that go around in the name of Jesus but don't do in the name of Jesus. Their way is not Yahweh, okay? It's, it's any other way but that way. And when it really comes down to it, Jesus is what we're all looking for. It's like what we're all seeking. And, and Paul had that in his heart. What do I do with this Jesus? He says, I know what you've been going through. It's hard for you to kick against the goat. So he, Paul, or Saul, I should say, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever thought this question, or you hear people talk about it, what kind of things do you want to ask God when you get to heaven? right? I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to ask God about this one. I'm going to ask God about that one. What about world hunger, God? What about hate? What about war? What about suffering? What about mosquitoes? What's up with that? <laughs> right? We got all these questions. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. But while we're still on earth, there really is only one question. What do you want me to do, Lord? That's the question. That's the right question. And that's what he asked. Lord, um, what is it that you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. <sighs> this is so frustrating. It's called faith. Walking by faith. Trusting God, believing God, taking God at His word. God, what do you want me to do? You name it, I'll do it. Okay, go to Damascus. No, no, God, anything, name it. I'll, everything, I'll do whatever you want. Just go to Damascus. What, 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 what do we do after that? 
I'll tell you when we get there. Right? How frustrating is it walking by faith, wondering what road are we on and where is it going to take us? I can guarantee you it's taking you to heaven. But man, it's a circuitous path. It's winding and you just don't always know. And, and this is what he says. You basically need to get in gear. You need to start walking your walk. And as you walk your walk, I'll take you. I will order your steps. Okay? But first, you've got to get moving. So, um, what must you do? Um, uh, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. That might be happening right now. You've seen it happen, I'm sure, in your own life. Maybe not the bright, blinding night, maybe not the whole room falling down on the ground and hearing a voice, but here's a whole bunch of people, and Jesus is having a conversation with Saul, the arch enemy of the church, in the midst of a group of people, and they don't understand what's going on. If God has a divine appointment with you, He will speak to you through His Holy Spirit. I know even as I'm up here, and I'm, I pray teaching from and reading the Word of God, which is powerful, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It looks into your heart. It sees what's going on. God says He sends His Word forth that it will accomplish that which He sent it to do. And so you can be sure as you're preaching God's Word, it's going out there, but there's a lot of people, even in a room like this, that'll be going, what's He talking about? I'm not hearing anything. And then there's somebody else in this room that's like, God's talking to me right now. I hear him. I'm, I'm that Saul. I'm that persecutor or, or, or something. I don't know. It's between you and God. But God will speak to you even in a crowd of people that, that, that you'll hear this. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Which is to say, not that all the people that were walking with him disappeared, but he didn't see Jesus, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Can you imagine the scene? Because I'm sure the whole city is on Saul alert. It, we read in other paces, they already knew he was coming. Ananias knew he was coming. Everybody was, get ready. You know, this Saul who persecutes the way, he's coming into town. And when he shows up into town, he comes walking in blind. Somebody holding his hand. This is the guy that came to kill me, right? Terminator? I don't think so. Kind of funny. There's an ancient secular text that describes Saul, um, and it, it kind of it goes like this. He's a man of middling size. His hair was scanty, which is probably means he's balding. His legs were crooked, and his knees were far apart. His nose was somewhat long, and his large eyebrows met in the middle. So here comes Saul, short, bald-headed, bow-legged, beady-eyed, with a bushy brow like a caterpillar above his big beak, being led by hand into town, right? Some of this we don't know for sure, the exact accurate description. And apologies to you, Paul, someday when I see you. You're probably Adonis. Probably not. But 
Nevertheless, isn't it interesting that it is Paul who opens up in the book of Corinthians in chapter 1 saying, not many wise, not many noble, not many strong are called. You know, and, and I'm thinking as he would go into town in the book of 2 Corinthians, he's constantly trying to explain. Everybody says you're such a big guy, but when you show up, man, you're not much at all to look at. That's, it's, it's recorded throughout the Bible. That's people's reaction when they see him. You? Anyways, and he was three days without sight and neither ate or drank. He was just stunned, no doubt dying to himself, trying to process all this. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. There are three Ananiases that we'll see in the Scripture. His name means the Lord has been gracious. And there, Ananias is actually a root word. You also get the name Hannah from Hananiah. Uh, the Lord is gracious. And even John or Johanan, they all come from the same root. The Lord is gracious. And so here's Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. There's still that street in Damascus today. It runs from east to west, all the way across Damascus. It would take over a day to walk from one end to the other. It's such a long street today. But he goes to this, he goes, there's a rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tars, Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And so now, Switch scenes, right? Last we left Paul, he's in the dark, and he's just um, not eating, not drinking. He's at this house of Judas on the street straight, and then all of a sudden God speaks to Ananias in a dream. Ananias, I, I've spoken to Saul. He's expecting you. I gave him your name, and I want you to go and see him, okay? Um, it says, and he is praying. Now, this is P-R-A-Y-I-N-G, praying, not... <laughs> Praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, right? Like a ravenous wolf. He's changed. He's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Note for people that study the Scriptures, first mention of saints in the Scriptures, okay? Hagios, those who have been set aside to the Lord, the, the chosen ones of God, okay? And so, how much harm He has done to your saints in Jerusalem, verse 14, and He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I've got a message, and I want you to deliver it to Saul. And Ananias is like, yeah, but God, do you know who this guy is? Yeah, I know who he is. He's my chosen vessel. Yeah, but do you know who he is? He, he wants to kill me and all the rest of us. And you want me to go tell him about Jesus and, and his plan? And, and this is my message to this guy who wants to kill me, that you're going to be uh, talking about Jesus to Gentiles, to kings and to children, and you want me to tell him how much he's going to suffer? That's my message? Yep, Ananias, that's your message. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 11, I don't have time, but in verses 22 through 28, 
Paul would go through a list of the sufferings. And it's an abbreviated list because it's not written at the end of his life. It's in the middle of his life during his mission. How many other sufferings he would go through, but the lashings and the drownings and the stonings and the imprisonment and all the stuff that he would suffer in the process of telling about Jesus and to, of all people, Gentiles. That almost makes you want to vomit in your mouth if you're Saul. That, oh, I can't even say the word Gentiles. You want me to go talk to them? I have nothing to do with Gentiles, and I certainly am not going to talk to a Gentile about Jesus. Are you kidding me? Yep, that's your job. That's what I've called you for. I've tapped you. That's what you're going to do. You're going to do that with them and with kings. And as I mentioned out of the book of Acts 22 and 26, where he's, above Felix, he's, he's in front of Felix, he's in front of King Agrippa, he's giving his testimony. In fact, he'll give his testimony to kings to the Gentiles. He's known as the apostle to the Gentiles and bringing the gospel out into the world and to the children of God, which is to say, he'll also be preaching to those Jews who have received me as their Messiah um, and show them how many things I must suffer. He must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, brother Saul, it says in another passage here that Ananias was a devout man with a great reputation amongst the Jews. He believed in all of the scriptures that the Lord had given him from Genesis onwards. He was a devout Jew, but he, he recognized Jesus Christ. And now he calls Saul his brother. And he's a Christian. And yet he says, you're my brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe it was back on the road in the bright light when he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I, I believe that's that point where his heart was changed. He was converted. Okay, <laughs> Lord, what do you want me to do? And he began obeying God, born again, a new creation in Christ. His whole path has changed. He went to Damascus one way. He's going to come home from Damascus a different way. He's going to be a new creature. He's going to be changed. But uh, here, he says, He sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been talking about this as we've gone through the book of Acts, that the filling of the Holy Spirit, when you confess Jesus as your Lord, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your heart. He will be in you. And in many cases, he will not only just come into you, but he will fill you and overflow you. Sometimes it happens at the moment that you confess Jesus as Lord. Sometimes it's later on in your walk. But I can say out of Ephesians chapter 5, 18, that however it happens, it's a continual ongoing process that you must be being filled. Even if you've been filled, you'll leak. And that's the whole point. You're supposed to leak. God fills you with His Holy Spirit so that you can pour it on others. And in the process of pouring, you need more. And so Ananias comes and says, I've come that you could see and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you may be a marker, we read in Acts 1.8, witness to the world for me. You'll need the Holy Spirit to get the job done, Saul. Verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and that word scales in other passages talks about scales on a fish. So we don't know what it was, maybe that bright light, even something like cataracts, or we don't even know what it is, but it says something like scales falls from his eyes, 
and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. That's in water. That's immersed. It's like, I am a new creature in Christ, and I want to give testimony to the world that I am now a follower of Christ. I've died to myself. I've been buried. The old man is gone, and I've risen a new man filled with the Holy Spirit in Christ. This is Paul's testimony. And I would say for everybody, and I know I've had this conversation a couple times with people this last week about, do you think that everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ should be able to say at some point, somewhere in your life, you should be able to look at that, that moment where things changed. You weren't the same. You made a commitment to God, and you can remember you were walking on forever. Saul's conversion is radical, right? We hear of all kinds of radical conversions of all kinds of uh, the hippies back in the Jesus people movement or druggies and dopers and gangsters and all these different kind of people that have these radical, I was once just a wicked, vile person, and now look at me, you know, I go to church every Sunday and all that kind of stuff. And some others say, I've been raised in the church my whole life. I've always loved Jesus. I've always known Jesus. I, don't, I, don't, I can't say I know a point where all of a sudden I knew him better than I know him. Now, honestly, here's Mike's heart on this. I can't say for a fact that you have to have that moment. I would love to think that a child could be brought into this world and raised by their parents and raised by the church and love the Lord and walk on with the Lord all the days of their life and never have to have that moment where they have to pause and say, something's wrong with my life and I need to change it. But there's a, there's a question, I think, that we all have to deal with at some point, and maybe you did it when you were eight. Maybe you did it when you were 18, and maybe you're 80 and you haven't done it yet. But there's a point where you have to deal with the sin issue. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. That's the human condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. There's not one righteous amongst us. We have to recognize I'm a sinner and my sin keeps me from a relationship with God. Thanks be to God, He gave us His Son. If I will confess my sin, I'm sorry, God, I'm a sinner, He will be faithful and just to cleanse us. Forgive us of our sins. But whatever point in life, you need to come to that moment where you recognize I need Jesus. I cannot do it on my own. And this is what Paul has done. He says, I want to be baptized. I want the whole world to know. I want to make a public declaration of what happened in my heart. And, and, and this is what, it's just a beautiful thing. And he was baptized. Verse 19, so when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Can you imagine this, this coming Sunday here in chapter 9? Here's Ananias, and he walks into the church in Damascus, and there's Saul of Tarsus. I mean, it's like he walks through the door, and instantly, boom, everybody's out of the building. That's the guy that came to kill us, right? I don't have anything to do with that skunk, that, that, that stinker, that scoundrel. What's he doing here? He's got no business here. Well, let me ask you, if he's got no business there, then where? Where do sinners go to meet Jesus? Where do they go to grow 
in Jesus. It's called the body. It's called the body. And some of us don't seem to recognize that. But there are a lot of sinners present this morning. Hallelujah. And we've met our Lord, our Savior, and He's taken us by the hand and He's walking us one step at a time through life. By the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And this Sunday morning must have been just amazing as the church started hearing the testimony of this one who came to kill them. And it says in verse 20, after church, it says immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues. And there would have been hundreds of synagogues in Damascus. I mean, he'd just be busy telling everybody about Christ, Messiah, Jesus, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for a purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? I don't know if you've seen this, but in this whole thing going on in the Middle East with Gaza and the terrorism and all of that, and the head of Gaza, the chief uh, leader of Gaza, his son is a Christian. His son is in the news. His son is condemning Gaza and everything that his father does. And you go, wow, that apple fell a long way from that tree. Praise God. But you can imagine, here he goes into the synagogues and starts preaching to them the Christ. Wait a minute, you're here to kill those Christians, not to preach the Christ. Um, but Saul, verse 22, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Brilliant man, one of the most brilliant people that's ever walked the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul. His letters, his writings are, are used in universities, or they were anyways, around the world to help people understand critical thinking and logic because it's so brilliant what God has done through Saul to bring Jesus to the world, to share him. And he did that in these churches and it's just blowing everybody's mind. He can go back through the scriptures. It said that he was uh, of the tribe of Israel, of, or of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised by Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of his time. It's told Gamaliel says, I couldn't give him enough books. Every book I gave him, he read and he wanted more. That guy was just insane. He would say that he was head of his class, Paul, that he just, he excelled more than any. And, and the biggest thing that he wanted to do was just put down this, this insurrection of the way, of those love bugs those Christians, we just got to squash that, right? And then he's just, he's going for it in all this, and all of a sudden, he's flipped, and now he's showing them. This, we've searched the Scriptures, guys. I've studied it my whole life. I'm an expert at the Scriptures. I've looked at it from cover to cover. We search these Scriptures because for in them, it says there's eternal life. But these are they which speak of Jesus. And Saul got it. He connected it. He put it together. And he started sharing it in all the uh, synagogues. It says in verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. I would take you over to Galatians chapter 1, verses 14 through 21. For lack of time, I can't take you there. But this many days really starts spinning off into years, Okay. There's a portion of the scriptures in Galatians that talks about this experience, his conversion on the road to Damascus and what goes on there in his preaching. But then Paul leaves Damascus and goes to Arabia, to the desert, for three years. 
where he and Jesus are alone and he just riddles it all out. He comes back to Damascus. He's going to go up to Jerusalem after he's in Jerusalem and everybody freaks out and then they finally accept him. Then he goes, they send him because they were going to try to kill him in Jerusalem. So they send him back to Tarsus. He stays in Tarsus for seven years. And finally, after seven years, Barnabas. You remember, we've met Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Good old Barney. Barney says, we need to get Saul. We need to bring him. He's really good at preaching the gospel. And then in Acts chapter 11, we're going to see that Barnabas goes and brings Saul back to the group. And yet, even then, they go up to Antioch, and they're there for about a year and a half before he finally gets sent out in the mission field with Barnabas. Ten years, give or take a year, that he's just cooking, just preparing, right? From the time that he's answered the call of Christ to go and preach Christ to the Gentiles, to kings, to the children of Israel, ten years. He does a little here, he does a little there, but we don't hear a lot from him. And then finally, boom, he explodes on the scene as we see recorded in the book of Acts. But it says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through a wall in a large basket. Right? He comes in blind and, and walking in, and he goes out by night hiding in a basket. It's interesting, if you go into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I already quoted, or I didn't quote it, but I, I uh, referred to that, where he talks about all the trials that he's going to suffer. Then it ends, in, or in the middle of chapter 11, he goes, and I was even taken, talk, he talks about beatings and shipwrecks and stonings and prison, and then to top it all off, the list, and I was let down in a basket one night in the dark. Talk about humiliating. And then he goes into, but it is in that point of weakness that I recognize God's strength. This was his greatest victory. As he records it in, second, in 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians 11, as he records his life and everything that he's done, things that he suffered for Christ, the best thing he can remember is that night I got laid down in the basket. That was like the height, the pinnacle of ministry for me because I recognized I was nothing and Jesus was everything. It's so beautiful. Verse 26 then, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem they tried to, and tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. <laughs> Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Thank God for the Barnabases. I'm, I'm so grateful for the people that took me by the hand and said, Mike, it's okay, come to church. Oh, I can't go to church. Why not? If I go to church, the roof's going to fall in and kill us all. Uh, I, you don't want me in there. No, it's okay, it's okay. It's a good roof, come on. And they were patient with me. They discipled with me. They walked with me through all the stuff. This is Barnabas. He just keeps showing up. What an awesome brother in the Lord. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And this is kind of cool. Okay, so in another passage, it says about two weeks, about 15 days. And it says in the other passage, he only met with Peter and James. But man, talk about a great field trip. He goes to Jerusalem and here's Saul of Tarsus 
the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles, and now he's hanging out at Pete's house for two weeks. Hey, Pete, tell me about that walking on water. Oh, you had to bring that one up, did you? Yeah, I sank, or whatever. But just hearing all the stories, James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, James, tell me what it's like as he looked at James, who was nicknamed Camel Knees because his knees were so calloused from perpetual prayer on his knees. That was his reputation in the church, Camel Knees. And here Saul, Paul now of Tarsus, gets to hang out with Peter and James for a couple weeks. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Those are the same people that rose up that stink against Stephen and had Stephen killed. Now the same group's coming after Saul. He was the one that was going to try and kill them, and now the tables have turned, and they're trying to kill him. But they attempted to kill him. Verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And again, that's where this seven to ten years I don't know if you, you, you might feel like it's exile, and maybe sometimes that's what it feels like. You know, you talk about the story of Moses, right? Here he is born, uh, thrown in a river, tried to kill him, gets rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, is raised up in the house of Pharaoh. Forty years he lives as king of Egypt. But then he tries to bring about the will of God through the arm of man and murders a guy, and he runs to the backside of the desert for 40 years. God, I thought you called me. I'm supposed to be your deliverer. I'm supposed to be the one to rescue my children. Yeah, you see those sheep? Take them over there. Take them over here. 40 years. Really, God? I'm your man. I'm your man. Lord, what do you want me to do? Backside of the desert. Walk to Damascus. Clean the toilets. It doesn't really matter. You just faithfully serve the Lord. And in God's time, He will exalt you. If you'll humble out, He'll exalt you. Um, but anyways, he's, the Hellenists are trying to, to kill him now, so he has to be uh, sent off to Tarsus, and uh, the next time we're going to see him, then I mentioned, is in Acts chapter 11, and, and closing up verse 31, worship crew, come on up. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, it's kind of interesting, this is the only mention of churches, the churches of Galilee right here. That Luke, that Luke records, um, but certainly there was churches growing everywhere, Judea, Galilee, Samaria. They had peace and were edified and built up. Okay, we killed that beast Saul, right? And uh, he's gone, and he's not wreaking havoc anymore. And for a season, there's a breather. It's not going to last, but they had peace. They were being built up and strengthened and walking, and I love this, This is a summary statement right here at verse 31. We've seen a couple of these summary statements as we've gone through the Scriptures. In chapter 2, right at the end of the day of Pentecost, in verse 47, we read that they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, another summary statement, a progress report. Then the word of the Lord spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here in 931, another progress report. The churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And look at this. This is just so beautiful. And walking in, two things, fear of the Lord and the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit, they multiplied. We need both. It's so important. I was talking with uh, Daryl this morning uh, about uh, mental health and, and mental health crises and suicide and these type of things and how it's just raging rampant in our society today. And we hear all these politicians talking about throw more money at it. We need more mental health workers. Get rid of the police. Hire more social workers and just mental health, mental health, mental health. I'm not against mental health, but I can tell you this. Without the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get there. And that's the thing that we miss in this country. This is the thing that's been taken away from us, is there's no fear of hell or no hope of heaven. And we're just going along trying to follow this step, that procedure, this plan, this program. Somehow it's supposed to help fix us. This is why our pure word program here at the church is one step. It's called Jesus. You need Jesus. And in the fear of the Lord, and that's a good thing. It's a holy thing. Holy fear burns out all the, the wickedness. Allow it to do its work. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with you. He'll be your guide. The church grows. We need both. So, in conclusion, today is December 31st, 2023. 2023 is over. 2024 dawns tomorrow. What's 2024 going to be? I don't know. You can be sure there's going to be some bad things. Every year has them. But you can be certain, you can bet your life on it, that Jesus will be there and will be doing amazing things. By a show of hands, just kind of randomly, how many of you here this morning were not here on December 31st, 2022? <laughs> what is 2024 going to bring? I don't know, but I can't wait. I am so excited that we have come to Jesus and we have been changed. Our life is moving in a new direction. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our life and saving a sinner such as me. Helping us, Lord, to live a life worthy of you, walking out day to day those things that you call us to. Just in obedience, in faith, simply and humbly, in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to grow us and grow us as this body as we would be a witness to you in the world. And as the world would come against us, we know that they persecuted you, they will persecute us, but we prevail. You are for us, and nobody can prevail against us. So Lord Jesus, we now commit to you our hearts, and we commit to you 2024. We ask that you would have with us, as you would, that you would receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. I'll be here to pray. There'll be some cookies and coffee if you want some fellowship down the hall. Um, Y'all have a beautiful week, a beautiful new year, and uh, look forward to seeing what Jesus does. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.com. 
org. Join us in person at the Springs in Habern, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.